Are you looking for something different to entertain your kids? Check out a new podcast for children. Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, is a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. Math is geared towards kids six and up, but can be enjoyed by the entire family. I love how the episodes are under 20 minutes, which was perfect for our drive to school. And my four-year-old really loved the episode, The Pirate Queen. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and so much more. New episodes drop every Thursday, and I love how engaging, funny, and educational the episodes are. Your kids won't even realize they're learning about math and problem solving. My son even said he wanted to finish the episode on our drive home from school. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. America, more than pretty much any other country, your education and your experience depends on your zip code. And sometimes it's not even like your zip code as much as like your neighborhood. There, You could be in one of the highest performing schools with unlimited resources and then 10 minutes down the road, literally, there's a school that's significantly underperforming with no resources. And like those kids play at the park together, but like, you know, just based on where their house is located and their neighborhood and taxes and how our systems are funded, kids get such a different experience. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Peds Doc Talk podcast. This podcast continues to grow because of you and your reviews. So thank you so much for tuning in and being here today. I am so excited to welcome Lauren Smith. She is a former educator and current nationally certified school psychologist. And we're talking about if the American school system is failing our kids. I know it sounds a little bit unusual. Why are we talking about this? But we have a lot to share on the ups and downs of the American school system and how maybe things can change for the better. So thank you so much for joining me today, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation. So tell me what you do. So you were formerly an educator and now you are a school psychologist. What brought you to become an educator and then become a school psychologist? Yeah, so um, I did the pretty traditional um, educator route. I was one of those kids who kind of always wanted to be a teacher. I was always a good student, but I kind of struggled with like mental health and social emotional stuff in school. And I had a couple mentor teachers that really changed things for me and like, you know, help me see my potential. It's kind of an old story for some teachers. Like you have a teacher who impacts you so much that you're like, I'm going to do that for other kids. So I went mm-hmm. into undergrad, like knowing I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to work with little kids. So I did elementary education. And so I just was a gen ed teacher for a couple of years, but then I really fell in love with working with more diverse populations, especially kids with students with disabilities And so I went back for my master's in special education. So I did some special education teaching and some administration for some years. Through that process, I found out about school psychologists and what they do. Um, It's basically a perfect combination of psychology and education. Um, They're the people in schools who evaluate students for potential disabilities. Um, Mm -hmm. they, They help teams come up with interventions, eligibility for special education. They also do mental health crisis, team counseling, that kind of thing. Um, So that's what I do now. Um, So I went back to school for that. So I've kind of had a lot of hats in the schools and I've seen a lot of different teams and how they work and systems from like very different roles. I'm now a parent. Um, My son's only two, so I haven't really interacted with him in the schools yet, but I'm looking forward to seeing how that changes my perspective too. So yeah, just a lot of different places, but always um, involved in the schools in a lot of ways. Well, like you said, it's just so awesome that you have worn many different hats in the school system, because I think this will be a more well-rounded conversation because you've been on many different sides in the school system. And I connected with you because I really wanted to discuss what I have felt for a very long time in that 
there are some limitations to the current American school system. And this conversation came about because I talked about it on my Instagram, Pete's Doc Talk, on my stories, how there are some concerns I have as a pediatrician, especially with the public school system. Yeah. We are going to talk about that. And it also depends on where you live in this country. Yes. But in what ways do you see limitations to the current American school system? Of course, there are great things about our education system, but I want to talk about things that we need to change. So what are the limitations that you've seen having worn these different hats in a school system? Yeah. So I think that one of your points is like number one for me, what you said about where you live. Um, America, more than pretty much any other country, your education and your experience depends on your zip code. And sometimes it's not even like your zip code as much as like your neighborhood there. You could be in one of the highest performing schools with unlimited resources. And then 10 minutes down the road, literally, there's a school that's significantly underperforming with no resources. And like those kids play at the park together. But like, you Mm -hmm. know, just based on where their house is located and their neighborhood and taxes and how our systems are funded, kids get such a different experience. Um, and I think that equity piece for me is the biggest barrier. Um, we're gonna, we can talk about a lot of issues. Um, but I think it comes down to that issue of equity because we just don't have currently any systems in place that ensure that all of our kids are appropriately meeting all of the standards because there's just so much variability, even in, within the same school district. Mm-hmm. Different schools can be doing such different things. So you could live in a town with friends and, you know, you might be zoned for a different school and be learning like totally differently, even though your kids play together and are the same age, the same grade. But just the way your schools function can be so different. And I think that leads to a lot of issues that we can definitely talk about. <laughs> you hit the nail on the head right now because this is my frustration that I see as a pediatrician is this sort of zip code priority. And I live in practice in South Florida and I see this every single day and I see it in healthcare too. What you're talking about is such a similar issue in healthcare that where you live, the zip code that you live, the resources you have is going to dictate the health outcomes you have. I mean, we're recording this still in the pandemic, right? And we saw this with healthcare outcomes in the pandemic. And now we also have seen this with education, which as a pediatrician, that's very hard for me to see that, like you said, I can see two children back to back visits who live five, 10 minutes apart. If I were to look at their, you know, address, face sheet, whatever, but mm-hmm. they are having very different outcomes with their education and their resources. And I'm even talking about public schools. Um, exactly. And then you also look at private and public, but I would love to dig into this further. So you said that, you know, you could talk about this in terms of like the limitations based on zip code. Is there anything else that you see with the limitations with the current um, American school system besides the zip code issues that I completely oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, for days we could talk, but I mean, I think in my role, and this also goes back to that same idea because it comes down to resources and funding and teacher training and who gets the most highly qualified teachers and who gets the resources. And the way that that impacts kids the most in my role is this evaluation process for special education. Our kids who are neurodiverse, what does their support look like yeah. in schools? Um, so for example, you could see two kids in your office, both kind of displaying similar symptoms of something such as ADHD, but their experience at school and whether or not they get um, evaluated for special education or additional supports could vary vastly based on the process at that school, what interventions are in place, how are those teachers trained to work with kids who are neurodiverse. So they could be literally the same age with very similar symptoms and backgrounds, but just based on how those schools are operating, it could really change the supports that those kids get. Oh, completely agree. Oh my gosh. And, you know, we talked about the zip code and the resources and you're kind of talking about something that I also wanted to discuss, which was the ADHD neurodiverse population that we take care of, both Mm -hmm. as teachers, educators, and also as pediatricians. Yeah, And I do feel, and I don't have a study or I don't have anything to back this up, but I do feel like more children in America than other countries, because I talk to family members outside and, you know, I, I see 
what's happening. I do feel like more of our children are medicated for ADHD than children outside, because I don't think American children have a higher incidence of ADHD. I just think that there's ADHD children all over the world, yet the American school system is not supporting neurodiverse children yes. in there because they don't like the res- they don't have the resources. Do you agree that that's Absolutely. why a lot of these children are ending up on medicine versus actually utilizing more extended time for test taking resources? Like, do you yes. feel that's been happening? Absolutely. Oh I mean, wow! Mm-hmm. Like you know, in my role, I leave it to you and the experts in terms of medication, but I. It is necessary for some kids, of course, but there are so many kids that we see in schools who could benefit from just some of the accommodations like you listed. The thing that gets me to, and this is as a school psych, we try to work with teachers to do interventions that are not just for neurodiverse kids. Some of the things that work for those kids work for every single kid. So like incorporating brain breaks where you get up and dance every couple of minutes after a big chunk of time or being more flexible in your seating so that like a kid doesn't have to sit at their desk for 45 minutes. Maybe they sit on a bouncing yoga ball chair or they're able to do a standing desk. Those are such simple accommodations that work for neurodiverse kids that would be beneficial for all the kids. And it's a simple, very cheap, like, you know, pretty easy intervention that we can incorporate, but there just isn't the knowledge and the training or, you know, the time for teachers to be able to do all of these things because, you know, the other limitation with our system is we're always teaching to tests and we're always trying Mm -hmm. to cram in curriculum by the end of a certain unit. And so teachers don't have the time to be looking at Instagram accounts for fun interventions they can incorporate or Pinterest, like, you know, those are things that they do on their own time in bed at 9pm. And that's why they're burned out. So it's all kind of connected. Like, there's some things that we can do for our neurodiverse kids, that would be so good for all kids. But it's just a matter of getting that knowledge into the schools, and making it more universal. And again, not just like, at this school down the street, because you happen to have a school psychologist. But the other school down the street doesn't have that because they have no funding. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, Never Frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with factor meals because they're ready in two minutes. No shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious factor meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains yeah it all comes it all comes back to resources it does and Mm -hmm. just capacity too I think a huge limitation as a former teacher I know you talked about pediatrician burnout I think that everyone is burned out right now just given the state of things 
But teacher burnout <laughs> is like another level. Of teachers, course. Teachers have always been burned out. But now it's just like I said, it's just on another level because I think we're realizing how much schools do for our kids because of the pandemic in terms of like school for a lot of kids is their only meal. It's mm-hmm. their only um, safe shelter. It's the only place where they might get some mental health support, again, depending on their school and their resources. Some kids, it's their only time of like routine and structure. Some families rely on it for medical care, like the social workers and wraparound services, which there's not enough of. But I think during the pandemic, when kids were forced to stay home, we realized like, okay, wow, teachers are wearing a million hats. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Schools are doing or are supposed to be doing so much for families. And there just isn't the support for that. And the support and the appreciation. I completely agree with this. I mean, I think how sad is it that it took a pandemic for people to really understand? And I don't think many people still truly get it, but I think more people do how vital teachers are and school systems are to our children in terms of when everyone had to go to homeschool and then parents were left to figure it out, they were like, wait, what? What about the teachers, right? They're supposed to help us. And then we realized, well, yes, the teachers are the foundation. And I believe that any community, the teach an educational system and a healthcare system working together and having funding and resources and accessibility, those two things are the pillars of health and education. I mean, these are not privileges. These are rights in a country, in my opinion. Um, But, you know, we people in the higher up can beg to defer that it depends on money, but having access to education and having access to health are the two things that matter. And I don't blame teachers for burning out because not only are you having to manage all the things that you manage from, you know, your curriculum and then ever changing, like you said, testing recommendations that come out in terms of now we have to test, teach to test this and do this. And then you have to deal with all the kids and the diversity in children and having to manage neurodiverse and having to manage this and then all the psychosocial issues and then gun violence and COVID. And I mean, and then you talk about pay. I mean, are you guys, you're not getting paid yeah, uh, over a hundred thousand, a hundred thousand a year to do this stuff, right? And that's not to me. You're, I've always felt, and I've said this on my Instagram many times, that I believe that teachers to be the, and school, anyone who works with children, but especially uh, teachers and educators, are one of the most lowest paid people in this country. When you have so much value, and you, I, I mean, I, you're underappreciated. Yeah. I mean, the whole school system is I so severely that. underappreciated. You started this episode talking about being inspired by a teacher when you're younger. And I think anyone who's successful, anyone who's successful is going to say that they're successful or just say happy in their life, whatever they're successful. And they found their purpose or joy because of an educator. Yeah. Because of an educator who showed them whatever it is you ended up doing, whether you're a school psychologist, pediatrician, you, uh, whatever job you have, it's those educators. And those educators happen either in elementary, they could happen even earlier than that or college, but how is it that we're not prioritizing these educators? I also value educators that I had in junior high. I still very much value them because they encouraged me and they told me to follow my dreams and all that. Da, 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 da. Yeah. But these things are so important to remember. And so when you talk about burnout, I agree with you. The educator burnout is something else. This is something extremely different than any other type of burnout. So when people are like, we're all burned out, I agree. But I do believe that teachers are burning out to the ump degree, especially if you have children of your own, because of what you guys are seeing every day in schools. And how can you do that with the time and resources that you have? You don't, I mean, I see it because I see what's happening in schools because I get it into my office. So what's happening is I see the, let's talk about neurodiversity, right? Mm -hmm. I see the ADHD child who is coming into my office. Parents are demanding meds. And I say, look, like, let's do other things. They tell me they don't have the time or that the school pushed them away. And I don't believe it that the school is trying to push them away. I think that they do not have the capacity to help everyone because there are just so many children who may need the help. And so parents will come in and they'll complain about the school. And I say, look, you're not going to complain to me about the school because the school is trying to manage so many different things. And I have to end up deciding to put the child on medicine when in my heart, I know that there are. IEPs, there are other things that we can do before yeah. medication. And I'm not against medicine for ADHD at, in the slightest, yeah. but I also know that it's a combination of many different things that we need to do exactly. for a child. And when I can't get that access 
because of the school system's lack of resources, it breaks me as a pediatrician. And that's why I'm happy we're talking about this. I love that we are talking. And this is why I wanted to talk specifically to you and your platform, because I think the collaboration with pediatricians and psychologists and people in the schools is, I feel like, often missed, but it's so important. There's a few times where I've gotten parents to sign off for us to be able to talk to the kids' doctors. And it is so helpful to have Mm -hmm. these kind of conversations because we also see the opposite. Sometimes we get a letter from a pediatrician who had like a 10 minute conversation with a parent and they say, I'm writing a prescription for an IEP. This child has ADHD. Mm -hmm. And for us, I'm like, I do like a four hour evaluation of this child with observations and rating scales. And it's like a really important decision. And it's like, I don't even know if this pediatrician has observed this kid in any kind of way. If they're just going by what the parent said, like you said, if the parent just is complaining about the school and the pediatrician's up against the wall, so they have to do something. Mm -hmm. And I think if we could work together and have these conversations more, there's such better outcomes because you have such the expertise in the symptoms and the medication and what works and what doesn't. And then, like I said, we know what to do in terms of an IEP um, or a 504 for accommodations. And just having those conversations, I think, don't happen because, again, you're burned out. We're burned yes. out. When are we going to have those? That's exactly it. We both have no time and no resources. Yeah. And, that, and that's the problem here. And that's why I'm, we're talking about this is that I don't know how we're going to make this happen. Yeah. But I agree with you. I wish in every visit, my ideal situation would be that I could get the teacher on the line or I have their, t- yeah. I have their cell phone and we can talk and have a team meeting. But I only, like you said, we only get 10 to 15, maybe 20 minutes with our patients yeah. in terms of on the schedule. Of course, as myself, like I will spend more time with the family if they need it, but I'm talking about the schedule, right? The yeah. schedule doesn't care if I spend 40 minutes, there's going to be five patients waiting. Exactly. And that's not that stressful yeah. as a pediatrician. And then for you all, you have 10 stacks of paperwork and then, you know, all these lessons, everything that's just piling up. Yeah. When are we going to find the time to have that team meeting, which I agree with you is so beneficial. And Oh my gosh. Like I'm like almost in tears because I just feel like this is the problem in America. Like we do not have the means for the two areas, again, healthcare and education Mm -hmm. and affordable housing. If you want to put that in there too, but these are the essentials having somewhere to live and eat. Okay. You talked about how many families use school system as their means of food, which is a reality that I see and it breaks my heart Mm -hmm. and then healthcare and education, but we don't prioritize that in this country. We don't. And if maybe you have money, then maybe your zip code will have some resources, but then that's getting into like private schools and all of that. But it's not fair to me. It's not fair to walk into an office and know that I could see one patient just because of where they live, have all the means in the world. And then the next patient, I'm struggling to get them stuff. Like I'm struggling to just get them services or get them support when they could have the same outcome, but the American school system and healthcare system is not helping me and helping you. Yeah. If you've ever taken mm -hmm. any psychology class, you've probably heard about Maslow and his hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. This is like the most basic idea. It's like literally just a pyramid. And at the bottom is our basic psychological, physiological needs. And the idea is you can't go to the next level of the pyramid without reaching that base level. And the base level is like water, food, shelter, and sleep. Then we get up to safety. You have to feel safe. Then there's like love and belonging. We don't get up to the top of the pyramid, which is where learning can happen until all of those things are addressed. Mm -hmm. And those are the things that I think we like exactly like you said, we're not addressing. And until it's addressed in your office and in our schools, like I don't know how we expect kids to make growth and to learn when we're not addressing like the most basic barriers. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper 
rash, we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball. Let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews, you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code PEDSDOC. That's P-E-D-S-D-O-C. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Oh, you are right that we could talk about this for about four hours, maybe even longer. Um, I agree. I mean, it's, I'm like sitting here recording with you and I'm just about to like stand up and pace around the room. And this is another reason I think why teachers leave because you have so much passion and some days you're just like, am I making even the little bit of difference for these kids? And of course, As someone who's stepped out of the classroom and can now observe and see what teachers do, yes, every day they are making a difference regardless of all of these barriers. But it's heartbreaking to be Mm -hmm. like, to feel like you're up against all of these things. Just like you said, you probably feel the same way. Like some days a client leaves and you're just like devastated because there's so much you could do for them. But there's so many things in the way that it feels like you're screaming into the void sometimes. And I do want to get more into like how children are kind of struggling in the American school system. And we'll talk about more like with the less, like how education is done in America. We'll talk about that in a bit. But since we're talking about teachers right now, how else are teachers struggling right now? Obviously resources, time, um, safety. I mean, I, we alluded to that, but what other message would you want to share for maybe a parent listening that doesn't understand why their teacher may be burnt out? What would you say to that parent? What's going on in, in school systems right now? I think. For me, you know, I have a lot of educator friends and we have these kind of conversations like over happy hour every day. (laughs) Like we are always talking about these issues and how to fix it. And the number one common thing that I think gets teachers to stay, this was the same for me, is administration and school culture that feels supportive. And that is a big issue in our schools. The people who are making decisions about teachers' jobs are often not educators. They're definitely not educators at the highest level in terms of government. But even at a school level, a lot of times we are getting feedback and evaluations and things given to us to do from people who haven't been in a classroom in 25 years. Some of them may have never even been in a classroom. And so there's this feeling of from teachers who are highly trained and highly educated and who want to do what's best for their kids, but they feel like there's no autonomy or there's no support from teachers. And a lot of schools for a lot of reasons usually legal. And then also sometimes because it's just easier, they will cater to parents, right? So that parent does come in with that note from a doctor. They're demanding an IEP or they're demanding an, you know, there's a whole list of demands that parents think is best for their kid. And while we do, we know parents are experts on their kids. I would never take that away from parents, but there's this sense that teachers aren't the experts in what they're doing in their classrooms. And they often feel so helpless because, you know, they might have read something in research or they might have seen something that they really want to try out, but for whatever reason, they're not allowed to. 
or they have so many parents making so many demands that they feel like they just can't keep up and they're not allowed to just be in their classroom and help their kids. And I think that's a huge piece of it is just this feeling of autonomy that you kind of got at it with the pay, but it's not just the pay. It's just kind of like a general lack of respect and appreciation for teachers experiences. Um, and, you know, teaching is a science and also an art. So there is training to it. But they're also, you know, we all know teachers who just have that teacher personality, right? Like, very certain mm-hmm. types of people get into teaching for a reason. And they have that finesse and that art to it. And they want to be creative and do all of these things for kids. But the way our systems are set up, Sometimes it just feels like they can't. And I think that's a huge piece too, if that makes sense. 100% it makes sense. And you mentioned something that is happening in healthcare too, and has been going on for like decades, which is the decision-making is happening from people in suits that have never even auscultated someone with a stethoscope before um, or ever put their hands on a patient before to examine them. So when your decisions are being made by someone who hasn't lived it and breathed it or is currently living and breathing it, right? Like the administrators tend to be out of touch with reality. So even if you have educators up on top, they aren't educators in a COVID-19 pandemic. They're not educators going through the struggles that y'all are going through, which matters. I mean, this kind of stuff matters to be seen, to be heard, and actually to feel like things may change, right? I mean, it's not just about money, I get it, but it's also about that support. I mean, we do need a livable wage and obviously some security there. But yeah, when you feel supported by your employer... And feel like, like you told me, you just said something that you feel like you can't, sometimes educators feel like they can't have autonomy or feel like they can be creative or do something different, or maybe, you know, take a little risk, if you will, with how they change their lesson plan or something that feels stifling because you're not able to practice your art, which is teaching. And I can relate to that as a pediatrician. Like if I'm being told, sorry, you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this all the time. That's how burnout happens. And that's why we're both burning out because you feel like, well, then what the heck did I do this for? Why can't I just practice my art and educate or treat patients, whatever you're doing? And I relate to this completely. And I think that's why we're seeing so many teachers, doctors, all kinds of fields who are branching out into these more like influencer roles because Mm -hmm. they have so much passion and so much knowledge and they just create these amazing platforms. Like you have this podcast and your Mm -hmm. account. And you can get out so much good information that you just don't have time to do with a patient in 10 minutes. And I feel like it's very similar for teachers. It's like, I have so many ideas, but all I can do is like create a Pinterest board and share it. Yeah. Or like create an Instagram account and share all this knowledge because yeah, you just don't have that freedom in your job. And I think that a lot of the teachers who are staying are those people who are finding other creative outlets or other ways to feel fulfilled. But it's just really sad that they can't get that in the classroom because that's when kids benefit the most is when teachers are doing their thing and they're allowed to be creative and to do whatever we need to do to support a kid. But the reality is, yeah, that's just a rare occurrence. Oh, yeah. I mean, you knew why I started this podcast and the whole platform. I was extremely burned out as a pediatrician and I was in tears yeah. wondering how I would ever do this job for another 50, whatever, 40 years. And I'm like, I can't do it. Like, I love doing what I do, but how can I continue doing this? Like 40 patients a day, burnt out, crying at the end of every day. Yeah. And it's a reality. And that's exactly why I started my platform. And I know a lot of people are starting their platform because they feel it can give them a voice. And so, yeah, I recognize that. So I obviously see there's so many ways that teachers are struggling. And I appreciate you sharing that because I think it's very important that people hear it, acknowledge it, and have some compassion for teachers. I hope that this can spark some change, obviously. Yeah. But what I really also want to talk about is the children in the school system. So of course, we talk about neurodiverse children a little bit. But one concern I've always had, and I don't know if you agree, or again, you can disagree with me completely if you want, (laughs) is the testing system in American school system. So like, yeah, I grew up in America, I grew up in California, and um, it was okay, but there was a lot of testing. And then you go into college and high school, and there was testing anxiety. But I do believe that there is more pressure on children nowadays, even younger kids. And then I also see it in my junior high and high school kids. And I don't know. And that's why I'm asking you. I don't know if you feel like it's because the curriculum has changed. Or do you think there's something else going on here? And I'm just feeling like, I'm seeing way more testing anxiety and way more anxiety around school, 
like going yeah. to school, being Absolutely. in school, studying in school, getting good grades. And I'm just like concerned. What do we need to do here? Yeah, no, you're totally right. I mean, we see it in the research and then anecdotally, like the amount of children that I work with to provide like school refusal counseling. And I'm not talking like I don't want to get out of bed, like mm-hmm. kids who are having legitimate panic attacks and can't get on the bus and need like exposure therapy to get to school because the anxiety is so high. A lot of that has come from COVID and that makes sense because there's a lot more scary things happening at school right now. But even before that, the anxiety is so real. The test anxiety is so real. I went to school in the 90s, early 2000s. We definitely had the state standardized tests that you had to take every year. But there is significantly more testing now. And it's a couple reasons. Like you mentioned, um, the standards have changed. So we adopted Common Core which, you know, there's a lot of argument about, I think there is a need for standardized curriculum and standardized standards. Um, because what we were having before is different states were teaching God knows what kids were graduating high school at a first grade reading level. There was not a lot of accountability in terms of knowing what kids know. And honestly, we still have a lot of that going on. But the purpose of Common Core is to say, here's some standards that, you know, by eighth grade, every kid should be able to do this. By graduation, every kid should be able to do this. So it sounds good in theory. But the other side of that is that we're constantly testing throughout all of the grades to see how close we are to those benchmarks. So it's not just like, oh, let's test them in 12th grade and we'll see how far they've come. It's like starting in kindergarten. These are the benchmarks and we have to give literal five-year-olds tests mm-hmm. to see if they're reaching these standards. That never, I'm sorry. I remember my kindergarten experience, which must have been, I don't know, early 90s, mid 90s. I don't remember ever taking a test. It was yes. like sitting at a table and coloring and like reading to a teddy bear and it was all play. You know, obviously they had standards back then, but it was a lot of observation and like I said, play and that kind of thing. And that's just not the case anymore. And it's heartbreaking. The over-testing is leading to tons of anxiety. The other thing is that our country compared to a lot of the countries that are performing really well in education, we have a culture of competition in schools Mm -hmm. that just doesn't exist elsewhere. So Yeah, constantly talking about kids ranks in schools. Teachers are getting evaluated based on their kids test scores. Kids are being compared to other kids. Even in my role in special education, all of our tests are normed based on samples of kids. So we're constantly comparing one kid to the norm for their age and how they're performing, which for a lot of that we do need like we need developmental milestones that we can compare kids and kind of see when there's an issue. But the way that we do this in this country where we're posting college acceptances, we're talking about what number rank you are. We're talking constantly about how many AP classes you're taking. We're seeing so much anxiety and perfectionism and so many kids who are just struggling so hard to keep up. And that's on top of being overscheduled with extracurriculars and all of the other things that we want our kids to do. Um, This is extremely concerning, right? Because we are fueling children to have perfect, like you said, perfectionism, anxiety, that when we send them off to college, which we've been there, I've been, Mm -hmm. I went to a major school system and I'm an example of someone who did the AAP classes was, did all the clubs, did everything. Like I was one of those top 20 kids at a major California public school that got into UCLA, which is one of the most coveted public schools in the country. And I got my first C when I went into college and I was devastated. I thought my life was over. I was crying in tears. My future was done. Right. I was a mess. Okay. Mm -hmm. I see this happen. I mean, it it goes downstream because we were also seeing a lot of college children. And I know this is going to be like very like, whoa, but a lot of college children, there's an increased suicide rate in in college children. And the reason I'm bringing it up is that this is not happening only in college. This is a school system and life system that has led that child or teenager to feel like there was no other way out because of perfectionism and whatever it may be. I mean, this is happening more than we've seen. And COVID, you're right, 
has had a huge impact. I do agree with that, you know, about health anxiety for children and going back to school. And again, I will bring up gun violence and all of that because that is a real reality. But I was also seeing this before all of that. Yeah. Like what you just mentioned too, the testing anxiety, the amount of I have to, a kindergartner having to take a test, but I hear what you're saying about the core curriculum, like having to have some standardized ability to say that your child can now pass to the next level or whatever. But is there a way that we can find a middle ground here? Yeah. Like, what are other foreign Absolutely. countries doing? There doesn't need, it doesn't, we don't need a multiple choice test to tell mm-hmm. us if a child is reaching the standards that we need. And I think that's the thing that we are missing when we're talking about all of these things, because it's like everyone kind of knows that we're over testing kids. Most people with any kind of knowledge about what's going on in schools are like, wow, we test our kids a lot. But nobody's talking about, okay, so what are the alternatives? Like, there are ways to learn about children without having them take multiple choice tests or write an essay. And these are things that, like I said, this is where the teacher creativity and the autonomy comes in. Teachers have done such cool things with like portfolios, performance pieces, like end of the year capstone projects. Like there's so many things that we can do to gauge how our kids are doing without having these high stakes, high pressure testing situations. Like the best situation for kids is when they don't know they're being assessed, right? Like they're just Mm -hmm. putting on a performance or they're showing off um, like a really cool piece that they did. And Teachers are knowledgeable and creative enough to grade that. And it's their job to match that to standards and to figure out a way to communicate to parents how their child is doing. Like teachers are dumb, you know, they can test kids without testing kids. But again, it's these high stakes situations where decision makers are like one track minded. Oh, how are we going to do this? We're going to have a baseline. We're going to have a nice chart with some data. We're going to have a line graph because we have this test out of a hundred and this is, we can create percentages of it and we can rank kids. And that's not something that we need to do to make sure our kids are doing well. But for some reason, that's just what our country has held on to. And nobody seems like really motivated to change it despite recognizing all of the problems that it's causing for teachers and for kids. I think most teachers, if they had less testing, it would help a lot with burnout. Mm -hmm. Because that, like I said, that goes back to their evaluation process. It goes back to how much time they have to teach what they want to teach. Testing is a huge factor in what happens in the classroom. Oh, this conversation is giving me anxiety. Okay, like like in a good way that we need to cause some change. But like I have always it's felt hard. this. Um, my own sister actually left Northern California and moved to Portugal because oh. she was so upset. Like her and her husband were like upset with this American dream, like this sort of yeah. this rat race situation. Yeah. And I think I hope many people listening can understand this, but they're much happier there. I mean, the school system is better. I want to get like a my dream would be to get an educator who used to educate in America, who's now educates outside the country, because I want to hear from an oh, educator yeah, I, standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. Like what also, because I want to hear, I know it's different, you know, like I feel like children in America from kindergarten and let's say, I would say from kindergarten, I think, you know, my son's in a preschool, they do give a lot of downtime and play, but I just feel like there is not a lot of time for as much time as when I was a kid for downtime, being still creativity. Mm-hmm. Again, there's so many metrics and my life, I want to move away from metrics. We are living yeah. a life of metrics. Yeah. I mean, as adults too, we live a life of at our jobs, we have metrics. And then if you're on social media, there's metrics there. And then now we have all these gadgets. Like how many steps did you walk in a day? Like, are we exactly. serious? And then I hate it. I hate it. And then you have sleep apps. Well, how good did you sleep every night? Like that actually can feel more anxiety. Yeah. And then you have these poor children that I look at that I'm like, it's basically anxiety that's being passed from child to parent to teacher to doctor, like the whole system is anxious because nobody can just be and have a moment of saying, you know what? I don't want to do my homework. Yeah. I don't want today. I'm just going to take a day off. Today is a day for rest, which a lot of countries do. Yeah. A lot of children in other countries and they're succeeding. It's not like these children are not succeeding when they become adults and they're succeeding in very creative fields. Right. Mm -hmm. But again, America has set this standard on these jobs and that you have to do this to get into college. And I wonder now, even with the pandemic and everything in the last three years that have happened, like, 
the value of college now, right? We saw that in the pandemic, a lot of people were like, I don't know if I'm even going to go to college because I can't even have the experience in college. But it's really interesting to me what's going to happen because this isn't sustainable for everybody involved. And I am concerned of children's mental health. I am concerned that there is a potential of leading to more, like I said, anxiety and more perfectionism because they're not being allowed to be children sometimes. Well, in Finland, who we know, we always hear about how they have the best education system. Um, We're always wondering what they're doing that we're not. They don't give more than a half hour of homework just ever. That's just their standard. Up until the high school levels, they also don't start compulsory education until age seven. Everything before that is expected to be play and exploration. <laughs> and they provide kids starting at age five. Everyone gets universal school. and But it's like, like I said, it's play. So they only have to go to school from age seven to 16. And they're still outperforming us significantly. And it's because of all these things that we're talking about. So, you know, it's like you hear that. In America, they I just feel like we think our way is the only way, but it's like we've been doing it this way for so long and we're still underperforming. And you can look at these other countries that are doing more creative things and radical things, like things that are considered radical. In Finland, they don't start school until like 9.45, everybody. There's so much research on just letting yes. kids sleep longer yes. is a game changer. And to me, I'm like, why is that so hard to implement in America? Why can't, well, and it goes back to what we were talking about, because parents have to work their butts off. They don't have childcare in the morning. Who's going to get them on the bus? And so if you don't have all of those things thought about in your systems, that's where everything breaks down. And these other countries, what they're doing right is they are thinking about the whole child and the whole family. They are providing three years of maternity leave. For the first three years of a child's life, mom is mom or dad or whoever caretakers are home with them, playing with them, exploring. We're not worrying about $2,000 a month daycare prices. Like they're just not, they have medical care easy provided for them. Like all of those things that we're talking about is these barriers. Those things are connected to education in other countries. And when we do those kind of wraparound services, that's when we see kids and families can succeed, but we just don't prioritize it here. We don't prioritize it in the budget. We don't prioritize it in the way that doctors and teachers, um, social workers, psychologists are allowed to practice. We're just missing this big picture of like everything is connected in a community. It's kind of going back to what you were talking about. And it's like, how long we've been saying it takes a village to raise a child. We've been saying that for decades, centuries. That's like the age old adage. Mm -hmm. It does take a village, but we just don't have those systems here. We don't. And, you know, talking about foreign schools, you mentioned Finland. I really want to learn so much more about their school systems because I don't know if it's going to change in our lifetime here. And that Mm -hmm. actually makes me really sad. I know because we know it's possible, right? We see other countries do it. And speaking about it from a, healthcare standpoint too, right? We know that you mentioned it beautifully that uh, just because we do think that we do things the best. When I say we, like whoever creates these rules and right. laws or whatever, um, I don't think we're doing it the best, but we think it's doing the best, but it's at what cost, right? right? Like at what cost the healthcare system, right? The healthcare system is pretty much going to crumble. It is crumbling. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can speak to that. And like I said, the last three years have exposed all of the cracks in American foundation. I think for so long, we've been kind of saying, okay, well, the school's this, healthcare is this, you know, we have this, this. The last three years of this pandemic have shown the reality in racial injustice in this country, in the school system, in gun violence, in all the laws, the way we're so divisive and healthcare. And it's coming to a forefront and Mm -hmm. something has got to give because what you mentioned is so true that early waking The fact that why are we starting school so early? Because as a pediatrician, I know the -hmm. benefit of sleep. I am going to be starting my son in a preschool and they start at 8.15. And a lot of toddlers wake up fine, seven. My son actually wakes up at 7.30, right? So that means I'm going to have to rush him. And I do not like rushing. Okay. And that's the day already like in a mood for him. It's Yes. Like it's a reality. Like, yes, I could adjust his bedtime, but 
that's his rhythm. And I'm so grateful right. that he wakes up at 730. Other parents could be listening like, well, I wish yeah, I had me, a two-year-old. Actually, my two-year-old who wakes up at 6 a.m. But keep going. I gotcha. <laughs> but, like, and, but I'm saying, and like, but there should be some balance here. Like, yeah. I know when I have to wake him up, I'm already kind of dreading when I have to wake him up. I'll adjust it, whatever. He'll, he'll adjust too. But can't we start like at nine? Like right. nine is completely, to me, nine o'clock start time for school would make so much sense. Exactly. And kids could get their, you know, 10 to 12 hours, older children, you know, um, maybe like 10 or nine hours, yep. but it is going to be so much better. They're going to perform better. And we know that this is all cyclical, right? Like yes. kids who don't sleep can have more behavioral concerns and it gets labeled as yep. ADHD when it's actually not ADHD. Exactly. It's the fact that the child is not getting enough sleep. Exactly. And it helps with our <laughs> burnout issue for teachers. Too, yes. because I don't see my son until 6 p.m. some days because oh. if my school starts at eight, that means I'm out of the house by seven because this is something that all people need to hear. Teachers do not work from eight to three and get summers off. Anybody who knows any teachers in their real life know they're always at school before kids come. They always mm -hmm. stay late. They're always doing work after school. So if my kid doesn't wake up until even 6.30 or 7, I'm out the door already. And then by the time I get home, like I've seen my son for two hours. And that also adds to the burnout because you're like, I'm taking care of other people's kids all day. But when do I see my son? If his school and my school started at 9am, we could have breakfast together. We could like take a little walk, we could play together, we could get him ready for his day, we could get me ready for my day. Just that, that few hour shift would be huge for all of our mental health. And that's another thing to me that just seems like such an easy switch. But we mm -hmm. just, we find all these reasons why it won't work because we haven't done it before. Yeah. And we're trying to fuel this again. I'm an immigrant child. So I was fed the American dream yep. for a long time. And I think even non-immigrant children will get it, but that is what we were instilled when my parents came to this country and they're like, you're going to work your butt off because we are trying to make a living here. You're going to work hard, work hard. And that has led to anxiety as an adult for me, right? Yeah. I have managed it better, but I'm me and my husband both, right? My husband is also a product of this yeah. and we are now, we don't want that for our son. We want him like you said, the mornings where we can be relaxed and get out the door. We are going to get out the door, but there's a rush there. And yeah. I start my job at 8 a.m. Wow. So like I yeah. have even, that's a whole different issue that like I have to be at the office at eight. I'm grateful that I live 10 minutes from my office, but my son's school starts at 8.15. That's why. So I'm going to have to be late to work yeah. every morning that I have to go to the office. And that means that I'm going to be rushed at my office. Now. Right. So like you said, the system is not supporting each other when, gosh, like, just let us all have just some time to breathe. Yeah. And like, I'm very into mindfulness. Like mindfulness yes. is really important to me. I think every child should learn it. But Lauren, I mean, at some point you can't mindful meditate <laughs> or mi use mindfulness practices yeah. to undo a system. Yeah. That's a joke in the schools right now because thankfully we are seeing a push in mental health services in schools. There are a ton of teachers who are really creative and using yoga and mindfulness in the classroom, but it's also a double-edged sword because it's like a running joke because, yeah, administrators will just be like, I know you guys are burned out. Practice mindfulness at the end of the day. And it's like, yeah, that's going to change my pay and my 10-hour workday and the fact that I can't keep up with all of my work. You know, you know, it's like, a, it's funny. I mean, yes, the practices are huge. But like, also, what if we shortened our school day? And like, if we started later, why doesn't everyone get together before school starts on the playground and do five minutes of mindfulness before the day starts? Those are things that some schools do. They're experimenting with and they're, doing more of those things. And it's huge for kids and teachers. It's like just thinking about how much better of a space people would be if we could do that. I'm laughing because it is uncanny, the similarities between what you're saying and what I deal with in healthcare. Yeah. Like we talked about this. Like we have a board in our office that says a positive attitude goes a long way. And I'm like, I agree. I do. Don't get me wrong. I actually am very, I'm a positive person, Yeah, but when you're seeing 40 to 45 patients a day and you can't even come up for air or drink yeah. water because someone's yelling at you that why are they waiting so long? You can't really like, it's really hard yeah. to be you can't positive. That. Like, you can't, it's just, it's, and you're right. Like they, it's so twisted because all of the corporations that are like pushing this mindfulness and you know, all this stuff, it's in the middle of like, Hey, we see that people are burnt out. Let's just put this in there, but not actually change anything yeah. that can actually really help them from truly being burned out. Mm -hmm. Like I said, do I need to see 40 patients? How about I see 
20. Like, you know, right. like there's, but then they won't make money as much money. So yeah. it's so interesting to me, but it's right on. And I laugh because I, it, I'm dealing with it too. And I just like, I'm like, man, like it's, you want to be positive. Yeah. I think people who go into pediatrics and education are very similar. They are. We are, yeah. we have a passion for children. Yeah. You don't work with children for the money. I right. think we all know that right. you work with them because you want, you actually truly believe that you're going to make an impact. Mm-hmm. But at some point, there's a limit. And I yeah. agree with you completely. There's a limit where you kind of tap out and say, I'm sorry, like, yeah. I can't do this anymore, because I'm not getting to do what I wanted to do. And, you know, suits and people who don't understand are making decisions for me. And I don't know when it's going to change. But Lauren, like this conversation, it got me fired up. Um, yeah. We're recording this in the evening in a good way. <laughs> I'm happy to talk to an educator about all these concerns that I've had for so long and kind of hear it from your perspective as well. Well, and it's great for me too. And I think us in education, because sometimes you can feel like you're in such a silo by yourself. And like I said, you're screaming into the void, but like when you have diversity and friends and family and people around you with different experiences, that's when you, like I said, like you go to happy hour and you talk to your friend who's a doctor and you realize, oh my God, like we are all going through such similar things and why can't we all get on the same page and fix these issues? Like, I mean, it's just mind boggling how so many people can recognize that the system is broken, but the work that it takes, I think is where our country has always stopped. And this is an education and I'm sure it's in the medical field. Everything is a bandaid, no pun intended. Everything is a Band-Aid. It's never preventative. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. this issue came up. What are we going to do for a quick fix? Instead of like, let's put the time, money, and resources into like legitimate preventative measures. It's like, oh, we got ourselves into this again. How can we fix it in two months? And then like, we'll deal with it again in five years when the exact same <laughs> issue comes up again. This is episode two that we're going to record about how, yes, the band-aid of healthcare and education, because I completely agree. I mean, we don't prioritize that for physical, mental, and educational well-being at all. Yeah, Lauren, this was such a pleasure talking to you. I think people understand that we could probably talk for hours and maybe I'll have you back on again um, for a part two, because it is just so important that we get this conversation out there. Any final message for any parent educator that you want to share today? Well, I just appreciate you bringing, you know this perspective to your podcast. I know you do a lot of medical stuff, but what I love is that you really do care about the whole child. And I think that we're doing the same things. I think the more that that parents can understand that we, in these various professions, we all have the same goal. It's exactly what you said. Like We didn't get into this for the money. We didn't get into this for fame or for notoriety. Like We just want to help your kids. And my message to parents, like, you know, things can get really adversary in schools, um, especially my work with IEPs and advocates and legal stuff. At the end of the day, your pediatrician, your teachers, all of us, we're, we just want the same goal. We just want our kids to be happy and healthy. And I think despite all of these barriers, I just want to end on like a positive note because like, yes, the system is broken and we can talk about that forever. But what is still the same in schools, and I see it every day, is that these educators are here for your kids, and they really do care about you and your kids. And I think as long as we have that at the end of the day, like we keep getting through it, just like doctors do, we still, yeah, you have 40 patients, but you find a way to see them because you care. And it's the same in school, we're going to keep keeping on because we have to for our kids. So that would be my kind of outgoing message is like, instead of you know, tearing each other apart. Like it Mm -hmm. sounds corny, but we just need to do what we can to fight these systems and to do what we can for our kids because they are our future. I mean, again, that's so corny, but like the world is changing every single day and these kids are the ones who are going to need to be ready for that. And so we just need to keep them our priority. That's all we can do, I think. Absolutely. And when you talk about that team, I think, you know, parents, like I mentioned earlier in the episode about like, um, blaming or passing the buck, right? Like, yeah. well, the school should be doing this. My doctor should be doing this. Yeah. I should be doing this. Like everyone kind of blames each other, but yeah. it is everyone's responsibility. Like you said, that village to kind of help with that child, right? Yeah. So the parents have huge responsibilities. Teachers do have responsibilities and doctors do as well, but it is that team. And really talking to your pediatrician, the educators that are in your child's life, 
And also, I really hope my take home is that you understand why we are kind of tired. <laughs> yes. Um, I think that's really important. It doesn't mean that we're not going to give you what you need all the time, but it does mean that there is going to be sometimes we're tired. Like there's going to yeah. be a wait sometimes. There's going to be a little lag in a phone call. And it's not that we don't want to. It's not that we don't care. It's that we actually care so much about mm-hmm. so many different children. And we're trying to just keep our head above water yeah. while the system is like, crumbling underneath us, you know? So, um, Lauren, again, thank you so much. Everyone listening. I hope you share this episode. I just think this is probably one of my most favorite episodes. Make sure to write a review, um, leave a rating. I just love talking about all of this because it's what we need to do to actually hopefully cause some change. Yeah. So thank you again, Lauren. And we will talk to you all next week with another episode. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review share this episode with a friend, share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at Pete's Doc Talk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Pete's Doc Talk TV. We'll talk to you soon. Are you tired of searching Google and ending up in a rabbit hole at 2 a.m. thinking that you're ruining your kid? Stop and visit pedsdoctalk.com. My website is your new Google with a search feature to search all content that I have that is free or available by purchase. And let me tell you, there are a lot of free goodies there, like free printable PDFs for how to handle a choking incident to milestones to monitor in your kid. My website provides information regarding the health and development of your child, including parenting and sleep. My goal is that you stop those middle-of-the-night searches that lead you nowhere but into the land of anxiety. My goal is to guide you to be the confident and calm parent I know that you are. Make sure to visit pedsdoctalk.com and use the magnifying glass to search. Want even more? Make sure to sign up for our newsletter by visiting pedsdoctalk.com newsletter, where you can get the latest and greatest in child health news and parenting tips delivered directly to your inbox. That's pedsdoctalk.com newsletter.